This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. We're internet sensations, guys. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons, 3 to 7 on WSJS. We're on a Tuesday drive. It is WSJS, News Talk Sports for the Triad. We're fresh off the holiday weekend. We are live at the Rialto Theater in Raleigh, just a couple miles away from PNC Arena, where Wake Forest will be facing NC State. At seven bells, seven o'clock in Raleigh. We'll get to that game and wild card weekend shortly, but we must start with the latest on the Carolina Panthers coaching search. Today is the day that the Panthers can begin interviewing assistant coaches for teams that are currently making playoff runs. And according to reports, Carolina is scheduled to interview Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson starting on Friday. Same for the Washington Commanders that day. And while David Tepper's approval rating isn't very high among Panther fans right now, this is another example, especially during an election year, that sports can be a lot like politics. The true diehards in either party represent the minority. You have the people that have their mind made up on a candidate because they follow politics day in, day out, week in, week out. But we all know they don't represent the majority of people. What's going to decide elections is the middle, the casual, so to speak. And sports is a lot like that. A lot of people have made up their mind about David Tepper, but really you're talking about the hardcore Panther fans who might be watching us right now, emailing, tweeting, who have Panther-specific pages and all these types of things, but they don't represent the majority. In other words, those people can be won back. And David Tepper has a golden opportunity to win a lot of people back here because there are so many proven head coaches available. It's truly unprecedented within that sport. Bill Belichick, the GOAT, was interviewed by the Atlanta Falcons last night. Such a funny tweet to see. The Atlanta Falcons have interviewed Bill Belichick. That's something that was tweeted. Imagine showing that tweet to 2018 you, 2019 you, five years ago with the Patriots fresh off their final Super Bowl win with Brady and Belichick together. Jim Harbaugh, who won 71% of his games with the Niners, he's interviewing with the Chargers, did that yesterday. Mike Rabel won 55% of his games. No small feat at Tennessee. He took Ryan Tannehill to an AFC championship game. That doesn't include a future Hall of Famer like Pete Carroll, who won 60% of his games. Who knows? Mike McCarthy might become available. I get he's become a punchline in Dallas, and Aaron Rodgers clowned him a bit, but he won 62% of his games as a head coach and won a Super Bowl as well. Dick Sirianni might come free after that debacle last night in Tampa. Maybe even Mike Tomlin, our buddy Brooke Pryor, who's from the triad. She was the one that tried to ask the question that everybody was wondering before Mike Tomlin had other ideas. Mike, you have a year left on your contract. pretty firmly out on that conversation. Yeah, it's what it sounds like. Anytime Adele starts to play on the radio, WD's reaction is, one of your worst takes, that Adele's voice is grating. Yes! It's terrible on your part. But Mike Tomlin is a Super Bowl winning coach. Who knows, he could come free. And then there are the coordinator candidates. Headline by Ben Johnson. Carolina wanted him last year. 
And what has he done since then? Ah, took the Lions back to the playoffs. The Lions won their first playoff game in 30 years. It was their first home playoff win in 30 years. Or first home playoff game altogether in 30 years. He's from Asheville, went to North Carolina in the mid-2000s. A perfect candidate to consider. Bobby Slowick's out there, somebody that we like a lot. And they're beginning to interview some of these coordinators this week. David Tepper, he has such a great opportunity. And in order to get one of these top candidates, I hear people say, oh, the Panthers, they have no shot at getting some of these top candidates. Well, they do, but you have to offer things that maybe some of these top jobs, air quotes, aren't willing to offer. Like the Cowboys, they're not going to offer final say on player personnel with Jerry Jones running things if the Cowboy job were to come free. Uh, that's not something that Dallas would do. That's not something, if Nick Sirianni's let go, that the Eagles would probably be willing to relinquish. David Tepper, he might be willing to do that. The same way, when the Niners were in such a bad position five, six years ago, they decided to give those powers, to give that type of say to Kyle Shanahan, and it's worked out very well. We mentioned Detroit and how they've had a lot of success under Dan Campbell. How did they get Dan Campbell? They offered him six, seven-year contract. More years than other teams were probably willing to give Dan Campbell. More security than other teams were willing to give Dan Campbell. David Tepper is worth $20 billion. One of the richest men in the world. He could drop a bag. So when you hear Ben Johnson's asking for $15 million, uh, David Tepper can give him $15 million. And fans shouldn't give that a second thought. That's the plus of having an owner like Tepper. Yeah, he could be over the top in terms of being hands-on, but – at least money doesn't matter to him. I mean, it's not like it counts against the salary cap, how much money you spend on a coach. So you have all the warts and all the problems. Well, at least you have an owner that cares and is willing to spend money because there are a lot of other owners, that shall remain nameless for the sake of this conversation, that aren't willing to do that, that are known to be cheap, that aren't as aggressive, that honestly don't care as much about winning it all as much as clearly David Tepper does you know, it's, it's a concerts. golden it's a golden opportunity for tepper to win support back on x wsjs radio that's where you can chime in on the show follow us there that's where we're streaming video in addition to youtube and twitch will dalton the executive producer of this show wd and i had lunch today at the wendover costco Darn right we did. on my way to raleigh I had my potato chips with me, as I do. I yeah. bring my own bagged Lay's potato chips when I eat my Costco hot dog. He whipped them out of his jacket pocket like pulling a gun out of a holster. Like, he was just I, ready. I was scared that the person at the front <laughs> would not let me bring in this bag of chips for some reason. So I hid it into my jacket like sneaking candy into a movie theater, such as the Rialto that we're at here in downtown Raleigh. And you uh, gave me... Some coffee because I won my coffee bet. Yeah, that no wasn't close. Good for Baker Mayfield, though. The game last night. The game tonight that we're excited about, Wake Forest, NC State. Wake Forest is going to win this game tonight, and I'll tell you why. It's because they lost last week in Tallahassee. Huh? The Deeks, they were humbled against Florida State. Wake was riding high. They were on a nine-game winning streak. More success than anybody on this team was familiar with at the collegiate level. In that game, Wake, they're known for having three of the ten best guards in the ACC right now. Hunter Salas, Boopy Miller, who am I forgetting, Cam Hildreth. They had 13 turnovers 
combined for Wake. So when you look at 20 turnovers in the game, how does that happen? Oh, three of your best players didn't have a great night. 13 turnovers, 20 as a team. They were inadequately prepared for the size of Florida State. They'd never admit this. Maybe they took for granted the success that they were having and thought, all right, we're just going to win this game. That's a great learning tool going into tonight. It's a similar challenge. They're back on the road, and Kevin Keats, he's told us, he's modeled state style in many ways after Leonard Hamilton at Florida State. They like to play a lot of guys. State does. They like to apply a lot of pressure. Get out on the break. Turn you over. Push the push the pace. Speed you up. When we chatted with Steve Forbes yesterday, and you can find that conversation on our YouTube channel. See, we weren't completely off on Martin Luther King Day. Search the drive with Josh Graham on our YouTube page. Steve Forbes, he told us yesterday, we're going to see how much Wake Forest learned from a week ago. You know, that's exactly what I told him last night at 7 o'clock. We're going to find out how much we've learned over the last week when it comes to getting sped up. I, listen, we can handle the ball. We got three of the best guards in the league. You know, I just, we can't get sped up. We got to play at our pace, you know, and, and that doesn't mean we can't play fast, but we got to play fast and play under control. That's what Wake needs to do. Play under control. Don't turn over the basketball. Don't play the way you did a week ago at Florida State. This is a perfect spot for Wake because while they like to play like Florida State does, State does not have the personnel to give the problems, uh, present problems the way that the Seminoles did. Florida State plays 12 guys at least 10 minutes a game. That's a lot of players playing at least 10 minutes. State has nine guys who play at least 10 minutes a game. Out of those nine, or out of the 12 for Florida State, eight of them are taller than six foot five. For NC State, four. So it's it's not nearly the same type of size that you're going to be running into. It's not the same amount of depth that you're going to be running into. Not a lot of defense, I suspect, is going to be played inside PNC Arena tonight, but Wake's an underdog in this game. I know that's something Steve Forbes is probably using as well. Give me the Deeks to beat NC State at PNC Arena later tonight. Ready, set, sports. This is The Drive with Josh Graham. Hayes Permar here at his theater, the Rialto Theater. It's not mine. This is Raleigh's theater. I knew you would take issue Rally with me that place. characterizing it that way. I feel like one of the reasons we wanted to come here to your theater or Raleigh's theater is to learn exactly why you decided to invest in getting a theater because I feel like we didn't have ample time to do so when sure. it actually happened. And we'll get to that in just a bit because I have this note here that's kind of crazy. And I think it's something that you will appreciate related to ACC basketball. Do you know that the top four teams in the ACC basketball standings currently are the ACC Big Four? The four teams from North Carolina? I knew it going into – I knew they were both – they were all 3-0, and right? Mm-hmm. But they still have the top four spots even the after a couple The top four losses? spots, yes, because Duke had one loss, so – the top four spots in the ACC basketball standings, all from the state of North Carolina, that's not the nugget. This is. If all four were able to make the NCAA tournament in the same year, the last time that happened was 19 years ago, 
2005. And it's funny, when I hear people talk about the greatest eras of ACC basketball, it's usually the era you say or when you were growing up. So sure. talking to sports writers all my life, pretty much, they'd all say the 80s. The 80s or the 70s was the gold era for it. But then when I look at in the 64-team era of the NCAA tournament, 85 on, it's only happened three times that all four teams have made the tournament in the same year, 91, 2004, 2005. Back-to-back years, which has me thinking, was 2004-2005 as good as we've ever had it in terms of the quality of teams? Like, think about it. Julius Hodge was upsetting UConn at NC State. Yep. Wake had Skip Prosser and Chris Paul. Thank Duke was the number one team in the country throughout the entire season with Redick until North Carolina upended the, and won the national championship in 2005. Roy, K, Skip, Herb Sindek. <laughs> No, I think that might be as good as it was for all four teams together collectively in the same year. What was the state of the ACC at that point? Have we, have we, we had added, have we added Miami and Virginia Tech or whatever. That might have been the first. So year. I wonder if that that makes it feel watered down when you were able to say four teams of an eighteen. At that point, you know, there, there might have been a Clemson or somebody else that was in there. When you start saying over half of our conference is in the NCAA tournament. And then you also need it off the back up, as it was in 2005. It's one thing to get people in the tournament. That's one stat. But you need people there on the final weekend, right? Right. For a long time, obviously in 2005, uh, you know, they had the heels winning it all. It's worth noting, 91, Duke won the national championship. 2004, Duke made it to the final four. So if all four teams get in this year, the first three times it's happened, the only other three times it's happened, We've had at least one in the Final Four. And two won the national championship. Yeah. That's a good way to start. The more teams you got in, the better chances of having more teams at the end. Right? Unless you're the Big Ten or the SEC. But yeah. I digress. Let's get to the Rialto Theater. How did it happen? All right. So, and, and obviously, you, you do a great job. You're from Raleigh, so you have a history here. Your show uh, obviously plays, well, worldwide because you're streaming. And I know you got people all over the place. But local to you is more considered the triad in Winston-Salem, yes. right? So I happen to know in Winston right now, there's a little bit of a renaissance going on, right? A cool downtown scene, restaurants, uh, a nice, a big theater down there in, in downtown. This theater know. reminds me a lot, actually, of Aperture yep. in downtown on 4th Street. I, I think it's a little bit bigger than this one. But there, this becomes a, a dual-edged sword, right? People are, like, so excited that new stuff is coming. We've got cool new restaurants. We've got you know, a cool apartment building that used to be an old government building or something like that, taking, you know, an old thing and making it new. But there is also a little bit of anxiety when some things that are considered old things or have been around a long time start to disappear, right? Like, oh, well, now that we have more people in here, we might need to build buildings that don't stop at three stories. Like, we kind of need eight-story buildings so that people can live in the top floors and we can have businesses and parking and street stuff on the This on was the a first big level. conversation in 2020 yes. when a lot of things were moved out that and, were older and the nostalgia and so, of it was painful to some. So even if people don't know the Rialto Theater because your audience is more triad-based, I think they can appreciate the how does a city – or a neighborhood go about what's the right way to preserve the things that you want to preserve and speak to your history and make people feel like that their version of the city isn't being forgotten while also allowing for, Hey, we want more people coming here. We'd rather be a city that people are coming to 
that people, the city that people are leaving. Like, go ask Cleveland and Detroit, who I know are like bouncing back some. But like, that's a long road when the statistics are saying people are leaving your city. The population is declining, right? So Raleigh, Winston Salem, a lot of Cheryl, a lot of North Carolina cities. Now they wrestle with the problem of like, what do we do with all these people coming? It's a better problem to have than people leaving, right? And but ultimately, the Rialto falls into one of those you know perfect niches of. I am a person who believes we do have to grow. We need to find some buildings. Even if this is a great restaurant for 25 years, it was owned by one family, and that family's ready to move on for it. L- let's build something a little bit bigger and big- nicer where we could put a nice new restaurant and people can live there. At the same time, there are certain things. I don't know if you got a chance to stop at Char Grill in Raleigh when you, you know came by. Um, Reynolds Coliseum is, is one that I think has been – Perfect of like, we shouldn't get rid of this, but also we're not going to be able to have a hockey team and a, a big basketball crowd if we stay at, at Reynolds Coliseum, right? So the Rialto came along at a time where, um, you know, post-pandemic, like a lot of college coaches looked at their lives and said, what exactly do I want to do with the, the next little chunk of my life? Um, and because this was in a neighborhood that I grew up in, um, and now I'm fortunate to live in this neighborhood now, kind of two different neighborhoods on opposite sides of the Rialto, um, I thought I could sort of help be one of the people that guided the Rialto into an era of let's preserve what we always loved about a place, but also modernize it, move it forward, um, have different types of things here. So long-winded answer of saying I'm not a everything needs to be torn down guy, but I'm also not a everything needs to be a museum and keep everything. So th- this fit right in the middle. So for let's me. talk about that forward-thinking piece. Like When you buy a place like this, like what most what is the most exciting piece of it it's it's i can't imagine albeit it's important to you obviously the way you just outlined it the preservation piece there has to be something that you circle and say this is something i can do and yeah. this really excites me i wouldn't say i anticipated the thing that excited me the, the most exciting thing to me is um I, I like live performances i do love movies and people who are super huge movie fans or rialto fans would be like you better say movies first i do love movies but even more than cinema specific like i love the faces of the families and the kids that were here watching you know parents that grew up on home alone showing their kids home alone for the first time on a big screen or just hearing kids laugh out loud belly laugh at uh marv and what's the other home alone crook's name uh pesci's character watching the two crooks like you know be funny like listening to kids laugh you're like oh that's the first time you've seen that prank or whatever like that is crazy you know the yeah uh, you feel keep the change you feel the animals and kids are cracking up like that's a cool thing but live bringing this place has a stage which makes it unique from other musical theaters we're sitting on the stage now live action is something different it's one of the reasons I, i love sports but the thing that has become the most exciting for me is also similar to what um i'm sure a a jones angel or uh um a stan cotton would say people come up to you and you become the the gatekeeper of Wake basketball and Wake football, right? People probably come to Stan Cotton and talk about games that he never saw, but they just want to say, I'm glad you do what you do because I saw Wake baseball in 1955 when they won that game that's in the College World Series. It's weird what you're talking about with the Rialto, the history that they have here. I get that a lot with the station that I'm at because WSJS is the oldest station in the triad. So I hear about Glenn Scott and Gene Overview, the former voice of the Deeks, and the history just with this station. Like when John Curry took the job at Wake, AM 600, WSJS. Yeah. And I'm sure you get the same so deal. So people come and they, they'll say, oh, I saw this concert there. It was amazing. I watched Woodstock 
you know, stream that I guess they didn't stream it then, but somehow they watched Woodstock, you know, being broadcast from here. Um, somebody told me that they got baptized here, and I thought they meant that metaphorically, like they got had their first kiss or something. No, they <laughs> their church met here for a time before their church was built. Now a like super prominent church in Raleigh, and he, it happened to be a time where he was born and got baptized. Um, I told you the other day, w- workers will come here dropping off sheetrock for our lobby renovation. And the guy will stop and be like, hey, man, is there any way I, I can go in there and take a picture? And I'm like, yeah, sure, dude, go in the theater. He's like, I remember my dad bringing me here to the Kung Fu shows in the 70s, you know? So it's like everyone has a Rialto story, whether there's a concert they saw. Uh, there's, there's an article in Walter Magazine this week, uh, one of the performers from Chatham County Line, He's quoted in there. He's like, oh, yeah, I had my first acid trip at the Rialto, right? So, like, some stories are more fun than, than others. Uh, but, uh, but everybody in Raleigh, if you've been here long enough, you've got a Rialto story, whether it was your first date with your – who then became your you know, 30-year husband or being baptized, seeing the Kung Fu show, seeing uh, Iggy Pop, you know, take the stage in the late 80s. Everyone's got a Rialto story, and that's become kind of the coolest thing. Or doing the drive with Josh Graham here. Now, now we can say – I remember when the Josh Graham. Are you show. good to come back in a couple of hours? Play skips or plays with Hayes with him? I, I assumed I, if I didn't send you a contract, but it would have been an obligation that we play <laughs> skips or plays with Hayes here. And uh, your on the former stage. host as a producer, David Glenn's going to be here in about 15 minutes. I well, don't know if, you knew if, if he can figure out the parking situation, the Rialto, we'll see. Got to figure that piece out. Appreciate you having us. Uh, thanks for being here, guys. The moment you've all been waiting for. You're on the drive with Josh Graham. For those watching on YouTube, on X slash Twitter, or on Twitch, we have quite the setup here at the Rialto Theater in Raleigh. WD, it's kind of awkward now that I can see what is displayed behind me here on the screen. We're on the stage here (laughs) at the Rialto. It's like my face is watching over my shoulder. It, it's exactly what it's doing. It's keeping an eye on you and everything so much, else. So much history in this place. Permar was telling me about all the legendary musicians, sometimes comedians that have graced this stage that we're lucky enough to be on right now. That might be a good skips or plays with Hayes theme to potentially do. Something to think about. You know what? Let's do that when... We do skips or plays with Hayes later on in the program. Right now, Graham's grades recapping wild card weekend in the NFL. Every week is a test for your favorite sports teams. Is this a test? Who passed the test? I don't know. Who dropped the ball? I don't know. Josh Graham has the answers. What? Time for Graham's grades. A through F, the very good, the meh, and the bad from the weekend not a lot of great from what we saw in terms of the quality of games it certainly was not a super wild card weekend but let's start with the obvious a the detroit lions this might just be michigan month a week ago michigan football won its first national championship since 97 its first outright national title since the late 1940s yesterday 
I saw that Michigan basketball beat Ohio State. And the bigger story was that the Fab Five had reunited. The beef is squashed between Chris Weber and Jalen Rose. And now the Detroit Lions are winning a playoff game? They haven't won a playoff game since 91. They hadn't had a home playoff game in 30 years. And since the Dallas Cowboys lost, they're going to get another one. First time in team history, they will be hosting multiple playoff games in the same year. The Detroit Lions hosting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this coming Sunday. I think that's the early game on Sunday. But the Lions, they're the A. That was the best game and the best scene to see from over the weekend. B. The Houston Texans. I know because of how often we've talked about C.J. Stroud, we can kind of lose sight of the big picture a little bit. But don't forget, this team is on its fourth coach in four years. And now they're winning a playoff game. And C.J. Stroud was great, of course. But this is, again, the question I have to the people who say, oh, clearly the Panthers messed up in taking Bryce over C.J. Stroud. Look at the highlight of that game. Wow, what a play C.J. Stroud made, right? Look how much time he had. And that's no small thing when you're facing the Browns that have this tremendous front. Miles Garrett couldn't get to C.J. Stroud. Like, he wasn't getting hit at all. And when you throw it downfield, your tight end is separating downfield? What's that like? And then the other tight end is going for 75-yard touchdowns, yards after catch. When the Panthers receivers get yards after catch, it's for 20 yards, not 75, and they fumble it into the end zones. So it's not nearly the same thing, even though people try to pretend like it is. But good for the Texans, who played tremendously on both sides of the ball. And I felt good for that city to experience winning in a way that they're not accustomed to. C. Really a tie here for C. The Kansas City Chiefs or the Buffalo Bills. Both won at home in bad weather situations. The Bills game got postponed to yesterday afternoon. And neither were really in doubt, but neither were games that I felt we learned a lot about the team winning the game. Pittsburgh had opportunities to really mix it up in that game, especially even in the second half. And the Chiefs, the weather was just so cold, Miami couldn't really test them in the ways that they normally would have in better, better conditions. I will say, leave Taylor Swift alone. People getting mad at like a swag surfing situation that happened. She had that sweet jacket. If you want to talk about who really won the weekend, it's Kyle Juszczyk's yeah. wife who yeah. did these custom outfits for Patrick Mahomes' wife, Brittany Mahomes, Taylor Swift with the Travis Kelsey like jersey on the outside. Apparently she did one for Taylor Lautner as well, who's a super Lions fan. It did one with like an Aiden Hutchinson. I could see you buying one of those winter coats. Like, what player would you do it for? On Cam the Newton. Get a Cam Newton? Oh, it'd be so fresh. There you go. Uh, leave Taylor alone. The Peacock stuff, that's certainly still being talked about. Buffalo fans kind of got screwed. Hey, you got to dig out snow from your seat. How much did I pay for this seat? Where I have to be a snowplow, essentially, just to watch this football game? And how much is beer? What? I mean, ridiculous. $20 an hour to scoop out that stadium for fans 
The NFL, I think, has more that they could pay for those. D. More that they can afford to pay. The Philadelphia Eagles at D. The only reason it's not an F is because if you've been paying attention for the last month and a half, this is what the Eagles have been. And it's why if Nick Sirianni were to get fired, it'd be understandable because that's coaching when guys aren't showing effort. How do I know they're not showing effort? Miss tackles. When you miss tackles at the rate they were missing them, that's that's an effort thing. And maybe, just maybe, Nick Sirianni was a lot like Frank Reich in that things fell apart for Frank Reich when he lost his best coordinator, Sirianni. And now when Nick Sirianni lost Shane Steichen and Shane Steichen's winning, you know, nine, ten games with the Colts in his first year, maybe that was the reason Philly was as dominant as they were. They also lost their defensive coordinator to the Cardinals as well. I'd understand it either way with the Eagles' decision. It's a difficult one to make, especially with this type of hiring cycle and these types of candidates that are available. F. Just waiting for that, building the suspense. The Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> we all knew who it was. We all no knew. No surprise on this. You got drilled by a seven seed. You were at home. At least Philly was on the road. And you were facing a team that had a quarterback making his playoff debut. And the thing that was so frustrating about watching the Cowboys in that spot, they they weren't – they were giving up big plays, but then they could never stop the bleeding, right? Like when you look at the halftime score, I don't think Green Bay kicked a field goal the entire game. If they did, it was super late, but – Green Bay wasn't kicking field goals. It was only touchdowns. And then the pick sixes, not good. It's just all bad. So they are the F for this week. It's been Graham's Grades. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. It certainly doesn't feel like Margaritaville outside, but that doesn't mean we can't play a little Jimmy Buffett and welcome David Glenn to the show since we're at the Rialto Theater in downtown Raleigh. DG, Margaritaville is a state of mind True. more than anything else. Hey, you're talking to a guy who grew up in Philadelphia and fell in love with palm trees and sand and sea and surf and Jimmy Buffett, so... I get that state of mind thing, trust me. Last week, we were doing a, a watch party for the national championship with many of our listeners that came out to BJ's Brewhouse in Winston. And one of them, there's this quartet of listeners that call themselves the Graham Crackers that <laughs> will call the show every now and then, and we appreciate them. Amen. And one of them said, every time you have David Glenn on, I make sure to listen to the segment twice because there are things – there are nuggets I need to extract from what DG said that I probably missed the first time. Well, please thank that graham cracker. For oh, they're me. listening right now. Uh, that is much appreciated. It never gets old to hear stuff like that. So let's get into ACC basketball. You have this up, ncsportsnetwork.com, an ACC midseason check-in. We're about at that point. I don't want to do a specific temperature in terms of how – 
concerning things might be right now, but I'll ask you generally, what's your level of concern when two weeks ago people were freaking out, Joe Lenardi projecting the Mountain West getting more teams than uh, the ACC, when it was only four teams that the ACC was receiving, and then last week, last Friday, he said, right now I only see three teams that should be getting in, when the last two, the ACC's received five. It's a concern because we've seen this song and her, you know, song and dance before. And what's going on is obviously Carolina has a great resume and Duke has a great resume. And those upgrade the image of the ACC. But now that we're into all conference play, that middle of the pack that needs quad one wins and needs quality victims to polish their resume. Obviously, if you play Duke home or away, that would do it if you win. If you play Carolina home or away, that would do it if you win. But the pickings are slim when it comes to opportunities to upgrade your resume otherwise. Now that the ACC is out of non-conference opponents and only Duke and Carolina are on that top tier. Now, I think Clemson and Wake Forest are good teams that I believe, if you ask me to project, I think both are going to make the NCAA tournament. But to your point with Wake... Since we're here at the Rialto in Raleigh, and a couple miles away, Wake's going to play at NC State. NC State's a team that could make the tournament, but there's no way that that's going to be a quad one win, which you hear a lot about. You're, it's going to require teams like Wake and Clemson to win road games, such as tonight, that Wake Forest has. Because undoubtedly, you would think, that would be a quad one win when it shakes out at the end of the year. Yeah, you not only have to beat teams like State in this case for Wake, you got to hope that State plays well enough the rest of the year that it stays a quad one win. Steve Forbes will remind you, 2022, quad one win is you have to be top 75 in the net. Virginia was 76th. A quad one win means you have to be top 30 in the net. They beat, they beat North Carolina at home that year by 23 points. North Carolina was 31st <laughs> yeah. in the net. Hey, look at it this way. Uh, Virginia has a win over the Florida Gators, right? Mm -hmm. And Wake Forest has a win over the Florida Gators. That Those two victories over a solid but unspectacular Florida team could later become something more significant, or they could sag into insignificance. Remember, was it last year that Carolina beat Ohio State and Michigan, which in the moment seemed like good victories, but Ohio State and Michigan both fell apart and neither turned out to be as high quality a victory as you thought when it happened. So it's a moving target. There's no doubt about it. And it's, these teams are going to have to play better. Um, you know, Clemson just had an, a three-game ACC losing streak. Yeah. The Tigers have to bounce back from that. And because Wake has only, what, one quad one game to this point, and they lost that one, mm -hmm. uh, there's work to do. And, and I don't think this is going to be a vintage year. Remember, less than a decade ago, the ACC was getting seven NCAA tournament bids. Twice they got nine NCAA tournament bids. I'm talking about relatively recent history. As you said, last two years, five bids and five bids. This certainly feels more like a five-bid type season, and that is a drop-off from most of what we saw last decade. Could Wake Forest – I want to give credit to Brett Freelander because I think he wrote this with Wake playing at Florida State last week. Could Wake be the reverse of Florida State football in the sense of Florida State was not for guys they did not have? Jordan Travis not having him and that's why they didn't make the playoff in Wake's case they played at Georgia they played Utah in Charleston and they did all that without Efton Reed in the lineup they've only w lost one basketball game 
with Efton yep. Reed, and that was last week at Florida State. How does the committee take that into account? Because certainly the numbers don't. Have you ever been on a mock selection committee? I haven't. It's a very valuable experience. You wrap your brain around this stuff as well as anybody in the industry, so I think you've probably done these machinations. But I asked this question of actual committee members over the years. And by the way, the person who runs the committee now is North Carolina Director of Athletics Bubba Cunningham. He is the chair of the college football or college basketball selection committee. The long story short of the answers that I've gotten over the years to essentially the Efton Reed the third question at Wake Forest is, yes, of course, the committee is allowed, and it's actually in the criteria that you're allowed to consider, just like it's in the college football playoff criteria. You're allowed to consider the missing player, whether he was injured before or he's injured now, and Florida State got the wrong end of that stick, obviously, in football. Yes, you're allowed to consider that the Deeks have been a better team with a better record, significantly better, with Efton Reed III. When I asked the follow-up question, how does it work in the room, and my own experience on probably a dozen mock selection committees over the last 30 years backs this up, there are so many things to consider that the committee does not have a great track record of placing a lot of weight on that factor. They should. And if it comes down, Josh, to four teams for two spots and they have very similar resumes, I think at that very late stage and they're really peeling the onion, at that point, the Efton Reed, the, the Deeks were a lot better with Efton Reed than without him. At that point, it comes into play. But I'm telling you, the first 98% of those selection committee's duties, they happen really without missing players coming into the conversation. I know that's not Wake, what Wake fans or maybe Steve Forbes want to hear, but that's the way it's worked in reality, and that's not great news for the Deeks. They can try to pump that message, uh, but it's more important to just keep winning basketball games. Who needs tonight more, Wake or NC State? I say Wake because I believe the Deeks have a more realistic road to the NCAA tournament. In other words, they both desperately need it, of course. I don't know if State has the horses to be a March Madness team. I, wa I was there when the Tar Heels really took the a wolf pack ago. behind the woodshed about a week ago. I mean, I, the final score was whatever, but the Tar Heels dominated that game. The Tar Heels absolutely enveloped the Wolfpack offense and took them out of their game. I know Kevin Keats said the pack missed some open shots, and he's right about that. But it wasn't all the pack missing shots. It was in part the Tar Heels imposing their defensive will. State needs somebody to get hot from three-point land, whether it's against Wake or over the longer haul, to become an, NC, uh, an NCAA tournament candidate. Right now, they're not even really close to the radar. You know, DJ Horn is a good three-point shooter. Casey Marcel has been at times in his career, but not so far this year. Jaden Taylor, so-so from three-point land. Uh, the big guy, D.J. Burns, not a three-point shooter. The pack simply does not have enough dynamic offensive players on this year's roster for them to beat quality opponents when shooting poorly or in a mediocre manner. And that's why I say it's an even bigger game for the Deeks because I think they can get there in the end. Hitting on the super wild card weekend we just saw that was very unsuper to say the least. <laughs> Rather than asking you what the best thing you saw was, what was the low point when five of the five and a half of the six games were boring? I say five and a half because the first half produced 38 points between Lions, Rams, and then neither team scored a touchdown in the second half. 
you had the 23 million watching on Peacock, but the game's on Peacock, mm. Dolphins and Chiefs. Your Eagles lost. That's mm. a bummer for you. The Cowboys, they get blown out at home. Many of these games are uncompetitive. So rather than asking what the best thing you saw yeah. in the NFL weekend was, what was the worst? Well, this is not an objective answer. <laughs> this is a very personal answer. The worst thing was not only watching the Eagles lose, which I knew was possible because of how they played down the stretch of the regular season, but there were players on that team that flat out gave up. That's the part where people talk about Nick Sirianni potentially being fired. And I don't mean every player. I watched that game pretty closely, and there were dudes on defense sticking their face in the fan even after it was a double-digit game. It's it's never all 11 or all right. 22. But right, but when you miss tackles oh. the way they miss, that's a sign of at that level, when people talk about effort not being there, you're not missing tackles when you're an NFL team a year removed from the Super Bowl unless your head's not exactly where it needs to be, yeah. and that's on coaching. It's one thing to go out. The NFL is incredibly competitive. It's in, it's hard to just keep making the playoffs the sure. way Nick Sirianni has every year as the Eagles head coach. So there's no embarrassment inherently in losing a playoff game, especially on the road. It is embarrassing to lose without class, without dignity, without 22-plus dudes emptying the effort bucket. And personally, as a huge fan of Jason Kelsey, one of my favorite Eagles ever, seeing the tears in his eyes – and watching it end that way for him as a beaten-up physically guy that maybe people have learned more about him personally from the documentaries of the, and the podcast of the Kelsey and brothers. And who his brother might be. Dating. He's an easy-to-support guy, whether you're an Eagles fan or not. And he had tears in his eyes, A, because I think he knew that it was the end of his career, and I think he's going to end up being one of the five best centers in NFL history when he ends up in the Hall of Fame. There's only, I think, four in there already. Um, but to go out that way by that many points when you know not all your teammates are doing what you've done for over a decade as an Eagle, that was painful to watch. Case Permar back with us. Full disclosure, he never left. Why? Because we're in his digs. We're in the Rialto Theater in Raleigh off of Glenwood Avenue, getting set for Wake Forest and NC State tonight. Uh, we're not even off of Glenwood Avenue. We are on Glenwood Avenue. That's right. We're on Highway 70. Glenwood Avenue. So really do appreciate you having us. You'll stick around for Take It to the House in just a bit. But we've got to, since we've got you, to play Skips or Plays with Hayes. But before we do that, okay. the Carolina Panthers are looking for their next head coach, Hayes. You're not on the daily sports media grind anymore. Right. But you are still emotionally attached in some way to this football team. Is there a hire, whether it's characteristics that you're looking for as a coach or a person outright, that you would look at on a Bill headline Cower. screen? I want Bill Cower. He's a Pittsburgh guy. He's got North Carolina ties. Tepper's going to be – he thinks he can dig Vermeil this thing and bring him back out of like, no, everybody thought he was retired 20 years ago. I want Bill Cower. I want, I want Tepper to go and be like, Bill Cower, I want you to – Cower's like, well, I don't coach anymore. And Cower and uh, Tepper to be like, what if we pay you $500 million? <laughs> and Cower be like, fine. And it would still be terrible. I mean, that would be tough because I'd be rooting for Cower to be good. Bill Cower – that's who I want. That's the name. You're going to hear that and think, oh, I hear none of my podcasts say Bill Cower. None of the links I read say Bill Cower. 
this guy's a bum. This guy's crazy. But do you know how old Bill Cowher is? I don't know, but uh, a lot younger than Bill Belichick. He's like and 60s? everybody's like, oh yeah, you know. I even hear some people talking about Pete Carroll. He's 72, 73. Bill Cowher's 66. In the 60s? Uh, dude, Cower was the original. Um, North Carolina hired Mac Brown at 67 or 68. You want me to think Bill Cower at 66? It could be five years. Turn- also, he'd be almost kind of like that Mac Brown of like, hey, Bill, we're not getting you to get us to a Super Bowl, but like right now things are bad, and we need somebody that's super likable. Both like fans like him and football dudes are like him. He needs to at least have somebody that's probably in touch with, you know, the modern analytics and data we're using. Cower seems more like, like, fourth and one. No, 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 no. We're, we're on the 35 of the other team. Let's play it safe and punt here. And it's like, oh, we don't do that anymore, Bill. The other, but, the other Pittsburgh coach, the guy who followed him, maybe might be available. Just throwing that out there. I would, look, I'd take Tomlin in a heartbeat, but I, I still don't think that's happening. I, think I, I don't think it is either. I'm just He has to at least have a losing season and, and not make the playoffs before you start getting rid of him. But, no, I want Bill Cowher. I think I, – haven't the Panthers – correct me if I'm wrong on this. <laughs> haven't they been trying to do the, like, super transparent, here's our list of everybody we're talking oh, to? The Panthers were I don't on like the forefront. That. And then the Falcons, you might have saw last night, kind of took from it saying – we interviewed Bill Belichick, which is such no, a funny – it's such a funny idea, the Falcons interviewing Bill Belichick. And I like to picture an interview that we're all on, and it's like, um, I, yeah, Bill, um, give me an example of a time you overcame adversity. Or I was going to say, get, do, do the opposite. Like, all right, hypothetical. Bill you're, Bel- down, you're down more than three scores in the Super Bowl. What do you do to turn it around? <laughs> do you have a scenario for this? Uh, Bill Belichick interviewed you. Falcons. Not uh, the, that's not correct. The other way but like, was was Harbaugh on the list of people we were interviewing? No. So like, what? I mean, I don't think we're. I don't think the Panthers are getting Harbaugh. I, I don't honestly think not they'll get Bill Cowher. I, I don't think they'll get Belichick. But like, when you put your list out there, a it exposes you to what if every one of those people say no, and like you you end up going with somebody that's not on the list. We call that a Mark Godfrey, right? Um, or like just there's so many bad scenarios of saying like, all right, we're interviewing these nine people, then it's like uh, none of them ended up being your coach. What went wrong? But they will get one of those eight people to say yes. I'm Dan, sticking Dan, with Dan Quinn's on that list, and Bill, his defense gave up forty to the to the Packers. Bill Cower. It'll feel a little bit like Frank Reich, but he, he won Super Bowls again. The Pittsburgh connection, <laughs> North Carolina connection. Although I don't even know if Bill Cower. Is his family still in North Carolina? They were for a long time. Hayes Permar's doing sports radio in 2012. Bill Cowher. That's what I was saying. Bill Cowher was the original. John Gruden was it for a while. Then Urban Meyer of like the like, this guy was so big and is perceived as such a winner is that like every single job that comes open in the next 10 years, we're just going to say his name for. What about Gruden? What about Gruden? College or pro? College, as long as it was like a Tennessee or a Notre Dame level, was like, what about Gruden? What about Gruden? Cowher was on that list. And he just waited long enough that he fell off the list. I'm putting him back on the list. What about Cower? Let's go get him. WD says he has a Rialto Theater themed Skipser plays with Hayes. Let's go. Hayes Permar is somewhat of a renaissance man, an expert in the finer things, but he hangs his hat on music. Loves his God, and he's no friend of Satan. He was like, oh, six, getting busy with the sticks, been watching Big Mike and Lil' Trick. Mike and Trip. I just need a Zion and someone he can dunk on. Today, Hayes will decide if this music is smash or trash, glows or blows. It's time for skips or plays with Hayes. R.I.P. Smash Mouth. 
And you are now one of the Smash Mouth never played the Rialto stage, but you are now joining an elite group of people who have played here at the Rialto, mm. Josh Graham. I mean, if we can count this as played. I'm so glad that I can be added to that list. I hope we can return sometime. WD, what's the theme this week? It is Rialto theme, so it's going to be people who have performed at the Rialto. We Let's thought that go. would be very fitting. Yeah, Permar's been telling us about this list for a while now. Now we get to share with the audience some people on that list for people who might not be aware, especially in the triad, of the Rialto Theater and its history. Yeah, what's so the, what's the first one? So the first one is Allison Krauss, and we're going to go with When You Say Nothing at All. Great song. There's a faction of the audience of a certain age that hear this and immediately just think Notting Hill. Is that the song that it's on? There's like three or four spots in Notting Hill where this is like. When you say nothing. This would be a decent karaoke song. It's a little bit slow, but uh, but not bad. Yeah, Allison Krauss, 19 years old when she played at the Rialto uh, mm. before she sort of like took off. Now she's a country folk bluegrass, whatever genre you want to put There's her in. There's still time she gets together with Robert Plant, I think. Uh, she, yeah, she's still big. She's, she's done a lot of cool things in her career. She headlined the Bluegrass Festival here. Um, this is an absolute play. A little mandolin there. Her, I believe that guy, the guy, um, Hi, him and me, hand oh. of constant sorrow. I believe he's in her band. I don't know if it's this song, but like that's how he sort of got big was he was Allison Krause's mandolin or whatever player. So uh, this is a huge play. Hey, Spermar. Yeah. Notting Hill, about three or four needle drops in that movie, this song. So when people think of that movie, Julia Roberts, Hugh Grant, that's what comes to mind. I'm sure WD has seen Notting Hill. 100%. No, totally. I'm not. I'm not, yeah. Well, that's there that's you sarcasm. Go. He hasn't. Yep. Uh, what's next? Uh, next is Bonnie Raitt. And for her, we're going to go something to talk about. This song has to be 50 years old. Great. 50? Get out of here. Even I know that. It's like 30 years old. This was early 90s. 50? You went 70s? This sounds like a 70s song. This is, no. Oh, you're right. Like 91. 91. 30, 33. This was also in another rom-com movie, I feel like. This was a big song. Um, Also, wasn't, wasn't, uh. This is a huge play, by the way. How am I going to not play somebody who played at the Rialto, right? There's a good chance we go three for three on this. But I believe, didn't we have a video on this show that became a meme of, I can't make you love me. Yeah, that's you, That's Bonnie Raitt as well. Um, and she is a great songwriter, but she also, I'm not sure. She's one of those who's like happy to collaborate with a songwriter and give them credit. There's some people who have made money writing Bonnie Raitt songs, and this may be one of those, but great song. It's a play. I'm assuming this is Bonnie Raitt's biggest commercial success. Had to be. As a song, this song, this album. But, yeah, she was big. And I think she came through the Rialto maybe just before this uh, this took off. The aisles were packed. Hey, Sperma. As they are right now. So, for, for, the are for the drive of Josh Graham. Looking at this right now. Right. Uh, the, yeah, I, I, I guess maybe when I hear the song, I just pictured that would be like a perfect fit. Like I'm one of those like drive along comedy co- comedies. Like if you're watching Midnight Run, just feels like 
that's a song that you can There might even be a, a movie called Something to Talk About that used the song Something to Talk About. I don't know. Uh, that, that's a very 90s thing, too, or 80s thing. where Like a rom-com. Like have a song Gosh. that is the name of Who's the Who's the guy? Something to Talk About, 1995 film. There's that Patrick Dempsey movie. With Julia Roberts. What did I tell you? Something to Talk About. There is that go. Tim Robbins? No, it's Dennis Quaid. No, uh, Dennis Quaid. Patrick Dempsey like had that movie where he's riding the lawnmower in the 80s. It's called Can't Buy Me Love, and guess yes. what's the featured song in that movie? Can't, Can't Buy, Buy Me, Me Love. Love. Yeah, that was a big thing back in the day. Okay, what's the last song? The last one is a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. We're going with Iggy Pop here, The Passenger. I am the passenger, and I ride, and I ride. I ride through the city backsides. Let's just play out. This, this is a huge play, also bringing it full circle, uh, because I know David Glenn was on the show earlier today. When I produced the David Glenn show, this this is a great bump song, by the way. It's got a it's got like a 30-second instrumental before there's any singing. And even when there is singing, it's like, I am a passenger. And like music is still, but like it starts off with a long intro. Great song, great intro, great bump music. That's a play. Hey, Spermar. You've seen Almost Famous, haven't you? Well, absolutely. Okay. Has, WD. Uh, has WD seen Almost Famous yet? Well. Oh, <laughs> it's such a classic. we got to make that happen. One of the best scenes there is when. Uh, I'm writing that down for, for WD. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Almost Famous is on the list. Goes in and is talking to the person on the radio. Mm-hmm. And he's like, totally takes over the interview. And he's like, takes off the records he's playing. He's like, he's like no, no, no. Give me this. Like, Iggy Pop. Yeah, Iggy Pop. That's what, anytime I hear Iggy Pop, that's what I think. Uh, <laughs> that's such like, a great movie. Iggy Pop. She's like, don't you think it's a little early for that? He's like, no, not for me. Like, dun, 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 dun. he's like, I just Philip Seymour Hoffman just owning a role. everything about that movie. Almost famous. I'd venture to say, last 30 years, there are it's, not five movies man, better than no, that movie. It's not. It, it, it has everything. Great okay. actors, great characters. It's funny. It's poignant. Feels real enough because, you know, there's it's got that base of reality in there Crudup's for Cameron Crowe's story. Yep, yep. It's I got mean, UNC ties, Billy Crudup. What's what's the actress's name? Uh, Kate Hudson. Kate Hudson's at her incredible peak. Yep. Uh, before of we course, take it to the house, music. the drive, again, telling you that there's a $0 joining fee. Uh, between now and January 31st for all Northwest NC's YMCA's. There's like 12 different locations that this qualifies for. Go to get signed up for the uh, for the YMCA now, ymcanwnc.com. You can click and join any one of the 12 local branches by signing up. Again, $0 joining fee between now and January 31st because we know, and they know, you have that New Year's resolution. If you're a resolutions person, hey, I'm going to get in better shape. Here's the part where you prove it. YMCA get signed up at the Northwest NC. I'm a big locations. YMCA guy, huge YMCA. In fact, if it's still the same you mission, probably play pickup ball with PJ Hairston in Greensboro. Uh, not in Greensboro, but I have played pickup ball with Devonte Graham at the YMCA. Local. Oh, um, and and some other and former ballers all the time. You play play up there. Is that true? At the Raleigh YMCA? That you played Devontae Graham, or is that a joke because you both it, went to the same high no, school? He plays, no, he plays pickup. He, he, I mean, I bet he still plays pickup there in the summer. He's played there all the time. I've been in a game with him. Uh, I believe the YMCA motto, if, I, if it, the last time I was familiar with it, was to put Christian principles into practice through programs that build healthy body, mind, and spirit for all. You hear that? Which is a great mission principle. Somebody, people get caught up because it's the – Young Men's Christian Association, and there was good branding YMCA. They didn't want to drop it, right? So they're very clear about the for all at the end. And I like this. 
if you're a Christian, that's great. That's a wonderful thing, right? They do a good job of saying that's our principles were built on Christianity, right? But they say to put Christian principles into practice, not to put Christianity into practice, right? The Christian principles of treating others the way you want to be treated, being a good neighbor, like those are all Christian principles that you don't have to be a practicing Christian to say that's a good way to live your life. And fortunately, when religions are doing their best, most of them have those same principles. Yeah, so. I'm trying to think of uh, like triad hoopers you might run into. Who knows? Maybe Josh Howard is going to pop up and you can play pickup. Does with John Isner ever go play pickup? No, no, now that he's retired, tennis. maybe. Yeah.